welcome to the Decipher Podcast. My guest today is my friend, Wendy Nather, who is one of the great advisory CISOs that we have here at Duo. And uh, Wendy has the honor of giving a keynote at RSA next week, or this week. It's happening this week. So um, I wanted to talk to Wendy and see what this whole keynote thing is about and what it's like actually giving one of those and prepping for it. So Wendy, how tired are you right now? On a scale from one to blah, um, yeah, pr- pretty pretty close to a blah. Uh, it, it comes and goes. You know, every day I start fresh, and then by the end I'm like, are there really going to be more days like this? <laughs> well, you're almost there. It's almost over. So yeah. um, the, the finish line is in sight. So I know that you're a very, uh, very conscientious preparer. And you like to be very prepared when you give talks, even if they're not a keynote in front of several tens of thousands of people. Yeah, don't um, scare me, okay? No, no, I didn't want to say the exact amount. I'm not, you know, you won't be able to see people. When you, there, there'll be lights in your face. It'll be, fine. Right, It'll be right. like being at a rock concert. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> so when did you, <laughs> how long ago did you actually start preparing for this? Well, I found out, I think, it's sometime in December um, before the Cisco shutdown uh, between Christmas and New Year's. And um, uh, Gene Hall let me know that uh, Gene Rittenhouse, who's our you know SVP of the security business group, said, he said, Gene wants you to do the RSA keynote this year. And the first thing I said was, does he even know who I am? And Gene said, oh, oh, yeah, he knows that. I'm like, how? Because <laughs> he's like my great, great grand boss or something. Right. Um, so I'm like, well, OK, you know, thanks for this vote of confidence. And um, immediately I was, you know, set upon by lots of, of wonderful PR and marketing folks and saying, don't worry, we're going to help you. You know, you've got this. And um, we didn't really start preparation until after the shutdown. But I was already thinking and kind of brainstorming uh, with folks about what it should be and taking lots of notes and things like that. Okay. And so the the title of your your talk is We the People, Democratizing Security. Um, And the democratizing security part of it is something that Duo talks about all the time, um, internally and externally. So did you come up with the idea for the talk or was it kind of a joint thing where everybody was just kind of like, Hey, this seems like a good, good idea for this one. No, this, this was really all mine. And uh, I have to, to give Cisco credit for letting me, you know, start with what I wanted to talk about and what I believed in. And of course it was Doug Song who originally first said the words democratizing security to me. I'd never heard those before, but I really liked the idea. And I thought, great, you know, how how can we use this? And, you know, I've been thinking about a number of themes for like the last 10 years about bringing security to people who can't afford it, those below the security poverty line. Um, How can we make security more usable? And things like zero trust where, you know, we're, we're thinking, what assumptions are we making that we really need to reconsider? So I kind of brought all those together and thought, you know, we have a lot of persistent problems in security, and maybe we're thinking about them all wrong. So how can we think about them differently? And it turns out a lot of them can be fit under the 
umbrella, so to speak, of democratizing security, then I just needed to figure out what would that really look like if we were going to do this. Mm -hmm. And I needed to talk with more people and and figure out what that meant. And then that all sort of came together and I presented it to management. And they said, yeah, that works. That's good. But let's go with that. That's awesome. It's, it's, I like the idea of, I always liked your, your kind of um, thought process around that security poverty line um, phrase or concept or however you want to put it. And I've heard you talk about that for, for years and years. Um, how did that, how did you incorporate that directly into this talk? Um, well, I didn't directly, uh, first of all, because it's only a 20 minute talk and I've crammed so many things in there already. Um, but also, I wanted to expand this beyond um, the enterprise. And one of the big themes in this talk is that, you know, we're all consumers of tech now. Um, we are using the same devices, the same networks, the same applications as our employers, and we can't simply rely on an authoritarian control model of security anymore. It has to switch to a collaborative model, something that treats everybody as a consumer and tries to win their, um, you know, tries to win their vote, so to speak. Um, yep. And you know, we have to think very differently. So um, th- there are a lot of struggles with the security poverty line that you know are are their whole talk, another talk in and of themselves. But this is more about how can we bring security to everybody, not just enterprise. I like that idea too, because as you said, everybody is kind of using the same apps and devices and stuff like that these days. I mean, a lot of the stuff that was just enterprise uh, devices or applications or software has kind of made its way into the consumer market and vice versa. So when you are thinking about something like the the concept of usable security, how do, how do you define that? Because to me, it doesn't just mean something that's simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some some parts of it need to be hidden from the user because they really don't care about it. You know, the plumbing, look, I don't care, you know, what version of TLS I'm using, you worry about that. But people care a whole lot about being able to make security decisions, especially, you know, if the business is driving something, they want to make the decisions. They don't want security saying, oh, no, you can't do that. So, um, and and as consumers... I think we need to be able to make security decisions that have nothing to do with our employers. And uh, we need to understand and be able to apply security controls to whatever we're doing. Because one of the things that we keep seeing over and over again is the same security mistakes being made with all sorts of technology. So, you know, we started with web applications and we had a lot of security problems with those and have been fixing those. Then when we got to mobile apps, we saw a lot of the same mistakes being made over and over again. And now with IoT, we're seeing them again. And people are going, why is this? Well, the reason is because it's different populations of people doing that development. They're not the same people. They're not us. And they don't know the lessons that we learned back with web applications. So we have to spread out the knowledge of security to people in industry, to, you know, all the IoT manufacturers, to people who are making shoes, to dentists, to artists. Um, everybody has to learn about security now, and we can't just turn them into copies of ourselves. We have to 
make security fit them. Yeah, it, it's a really good point because I, I know this happens to you all the time. It happens to anybody that works even tangentially in security. Your friends or family members who, who you know, aren't in this industry will ask you questions like, should I worry about this or I got this email or can you help me fix this? And a lot of that stuff is very simple to us, but it's, you know, the people that we're helping don't have the information they need to, to make those decisions. So a lot of that, I think, goes back to just getting more information into more people's hands, don't you think? Not just, yeah, not just more information, but we have to understand that they shouldn't have to know the same things that we know. Uh, you know, they, they, they shouldn't That's have true. to get their CISSP. We have to redesign security so that they don't need to know every little bit of minutia that we do in order to make a security decision. And we need to start, and here's, you know, a, a, a concept that I'm going to introduce in the keynote uh, that make pe- may make people clutch their pearls a little bit. But I'm going to argue that we should not be using parental controls on kids' devices we should not be raising them to comply with somebody else's security policies. We should be teaching them to make good security decisions on their own, on the basis of what is in their own interests and based on what they can understand. So let me give you an example. Um, I, I don't use parental controls at home, but my teenage daughter came to me a couple months ago and she asked for help setting up the parental controls on her phone. And the reason was she wanted help enforcing her study hours. She wanted me to help her, you know, disable the social apps on her phone when she was supposed to be studying. And so I, you know, she set up the controls the way she wanted them. And then I just set a password that she didn't know. And now whenever she wants to change that, she comes back to me and I unlock it and she changes the controls the way she wants it. She's making the decisions for her benefit not me. I'm just helping her execute on them. And that's what I think we should be doing more of both, you know, personally and for the business. I completely agree with that stance, by the way. (laughs) We have, I have teenagers that are about the same age as, as your kids. And I've never really set up parental controls on their devices or, you know, even on like, you know, the TV or anything like that, Netflix, anything like that, because I, I feel like you have to give people a certain amount of freedom and the ability to make informed decisions and let them go their own way. Um, I, lo- I love that idea of her setting up the enforced study hours. Maybe I can, uh, I'll have my kids listen to this afterwards so they know what <laughs> they should be doing that. But, but um, you know, that was entirely I her, like her decision. I, I had nothing to do with it. it. It was her idea. So I believe that we can teach kids and, you know, people in general to make security decisions for themselves, but we should not be teaching them to comply. And we shouldn't be waiting until they get jobs and their employer tells them what security policies they have to follow. That's way too late. We have to start teaching them, you know, much earlier. Yeah, I totally agree. And it, it's interesting because I've worked at a few companies in the last, you know, 20 years, and most of them have been somewhere in the tech or or security world. And even at some of the security companies I worked at before Duo, they there wasn't always even security training, you know, mm-hmm. security awareness right. or even like basic security hygiene training. And you know, some of that stuff has limited uh, limited usefulness, but 
the idea of making more people aware and informed about security and the kind of decisions they're making, I think, has value to everyone, not just, you know, people that aren't really connected to it. So how how do you think, like, how can that be implemented practically, Wendy? Like, how can we get this, get people more educated and more aware of, of what they need to be doing? Um, well, that's part of bringing the security culture to them, but it's also part of redesigning security so that, um, you know, because otherwise we'll be trying to educate them in ways that are just not helpful, like saying, oh, don't click stuff. You know, is, is that the most right. useless advice anywhere? How about if we redesign security sure so it wouldn't matter if they clicked the wrong stuff? Because the the Internet's all about clicking. You know, why, why are we still thinking that if we just train louder and explain harder that it's going to work? You know, why, why don't we question the fundamental issue here, which is, you know, it's, it's all about the clicks and we should be helping to secure things better. So there's work that we need to do as security professionals to lay the groundwork, to make security easier to use um, before, you know, it's not just educating or informing the users differently. It's, it's changing what they need to know and making it simpler. So that's a big part of it. Yeah, I I agree with that. That's a good point. Um, And, you know, there's this concept that goes around every once in a while of people saying, you know, security shouldn't be the department of no, it should be about kind of figuring out how to let people do their jobs or live their lives while still being safe and being able to protect themselves online. And I, I, it sounds like that's a big part of what you're, what you're talking about. Yeah, it it is. And um, we also need to change the overall model of security because it used to be that, you know, you only use tech if you were a professional and you were employed by somebody and they told you how to use it and they issued and managed everything that you used it with, and all that's changed. You know, that, that's completely different. So the old authoritarian model of security, the control model, has got to change to a collaboration model. And that has a lot to do with not just how we design security controls, but how we implement them, how we talk about them, even what we decide that we need to retain within an enterprise as opposed to using, you know, from a third party. All of that has to be questioned and it, it kind of all goes together. Wendy, do you see, or, I mean, I know you talk to a lot of different people and a lot of like all over the industry and, and outside in all kinds of different positions. Do you hear other folks, uh, you know, kind of making these same points and thinking along these same lines? I believe there are. There, yeah, there there are people who understand that <laughs> saying just don't click stuff is is unhelpful. There are people, and I'm going to quote some of them in the in the keynote, who talk about what uh, democratizing security means to them around the world. Um, there are people who have uh, been using the phrase democratizing security uh, to describe, for example, sharing security tools and data. Um, outside of the security bubble, or uh, 451 mm-hmm. Research in their trends report was talking about what they call citizen contributors, people outside of the industry who are contributing code and data and research and, and all sorts of things 
um, internally. So there's a lot of talk about that. And it can mean different things to different people. I, I'm just bringing it together in my particular way through my particular lens. But like every other concept, it's going to have a lot of adoption and changing by people based on what it means to them. Yeah, because everybody has kind of a different perspective and different experiences, you know, and a, kind of a different background. So the way that they use uh devices and applications and security tools is not going to all be the same. Like you and I, I'm sure use things completely differently, even though we have similar jobs and backgrounds, it's, um, you know, making, making decisions and helping people make smart decisions, you know, dependent upon their jobs and their background, I think is, is a good message and something that's helpful for everyone. Yeah, and I think the most important things are, are to remember that not everybody should have to have the same background of knowledge that we do. They may want to use it differently from the way we would prefer that they use it, but you know, yeah. people in tech have known this forever. <laughs> and you know, the fact of the matter is that um, users, or as we call them, normal people, are taking control over bit by bit over the years anyway. And we can either fight them on it or we can work with them to make this work better for them. And that's what I'm advocating that we do, that we embrace this model because it's happening anyway and saying, how can we make it work better? Yeah. So what else is the rest of your your week going to look like after you actually get off stage and take a deep breath and, you know, have a cup of tea? Is it just uh, back to back to back to back meetings for the next five days? Well, there there are lots of meetings and interviews and things, but um, I'm also doing a an experimental session with RSA that I'm I'm pretty excited about. In their engagement zone, we are trying a session called a problem solving session, and Ed Scotus is doing one too. And this is where oh, I yeah I, I'm going to facilitate a discussion of a sticky security problem, and you know we're not going to solve it in 50 minutes. But what we really hope that people will do is if they come and they can help identify peers who are also working on this that they can talk to later or get insights from people who have, um, you know, already sort of attacked this and found out things that work for them. And then also bring in people who are working on maybe on larger initiatives to address this problem so that they can get input from the other attendees. Um, so, for example, uh, my session is going to be on technical debt, and um, it's you know no no other vendors are allowed, no no vending, no pitching or anything. It's just <laughs> going to be practitioners talking with each other in a facilitated discussion about how they're dealing with this. Um, but you know, if there are people who come from uh, who are trying to create larger initiatives around retiring technical debt in the industry, they are welcome to come too and, uh, you know, maybe get a new stream of volunteers to uh, who might want to give input into this later on. So that's what we're hoping for. This is the first time we're trying this at RSA and we'll see how well it works. That's a cool idea. Have you done anything like that before at other places? Um, I have sometimes, uh, you know, usually at conferences where we have a, a facilitated roundtable discussion. And um, okay. th this is one of the things in the engagement zone that 
uh, RSA really wants to create a space for people to come and meet each other and network more instead of just getting lost in the crowd and being spoken at in sessions. Um, you know, there are a lot of different um, interactive things that they can try. So I'm excited. That's a, yeah, that, that's a smart idea, I think. Because, yeah, if you're sitting in a room with 700 other people, you're probably like, maybe you're a little engaged, then you start looking at your phone and then you kind of zone out and then you right. realize like, the session's kind of over and you're like, ah, whoops, what happened in there? So yeah, yeah if people get the chance to actually engage with someone like you and their peers and, and talk about a problem that everybody kind of has to deal with, that's, that's good. Did you get to pick the topic or did they kind of throw it at you? Oh, I, I picked it. Uh, in fact, I did a little Twitter poll and uh, one that kept going up that I, I felt was going to be, it's got to be a topic that is very difficult and even though we're not going to solve it, it's got to be something where in a 50-minute facilitated session, maybe some people could make some progress on it. Uh, you know, it should be the sort of thing where you don't sit around admiring the topic for an hour, but you actually start talking about small, concrete things that you can do with it. So I felt like technical debt was something that everybody understood um, and that people could exchange any level of idea on and that regardless, they could come out of it with something of value. Yeah, that's a good idea. I would encourage everybody to go with the, if they have the chance to go check that out, um, getting the chance to talk to talk to you on a. Now, you know, now mind you, I'm not going to have I'm not going to have all the answers on this. I'm just going to facilitate the discussion. Um, Don't and, tell and people that, Wendy. You're going to have all the answers. Come no, I, I won't unless people give them to me. But um, Ed Scotus's <laughs> session, which is right, his was right before mine. It's on getting the best um, value out of your pen testers. So that's another good session. Oh, there you go. So you don't get taken. That's a good, that's a good one. I like it. <laughs> you don't get pwned the wrong way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the very expensive way. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk to me about this. I'm really looking forward to the keynote. Um, it, I know it'll be great. And I know you, you guys have worked really hard on it. So, um, And I know you'll be happy when you can walk off stage into the green room and just sit down. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, good luck. And I can't wait to see you in a few days. Yeah, you too, Dennis. Thank you. All right. Take care.